I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey there, it's Debbie. Today's episode is a special re-release of a favorite conversation from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one before. And even if you have, you just might get something completely different from it this time around. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden something in her just switched and turned off. And it was like this bright glimmer that had been in her eyes was gone. And her eyes took this flat, dead look to them. And that sounds like so melodramatic, but it's really true. Even when I look back through pictures, the shape of her eyes are different. It was just so much stress in this tiny body. You know, looking back, I just sometimes I just want to cry. I just think about what she had to be going through and pushing through each day to try to make some benchmark of normalcy while she was in school. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm sitting down with a fellow parent in the trenches and the author of the book, Redefining Girly, How Parents Can Fight the Stereotyping and Sexualizing of Girlhood from Birth to Tween, Melissa Wardy. In this conversation today, we're going to be talking about how Melissa has navigated the journey of learning how to support her own full of awesome kids, both of whom have anxiety disorders. This is an honest dialogue about the challenges kids with anxiety face, the stigma surrounding it, and lack of understanding in schools and in society, and much more. And I wanted to share that Melissa has just published a powerful article about her journey on the website Grok Nation. So definitely check that out too. I will leave a link for that in the show notes page. So here's my conversation about raising anxious kids with Melissa Wardy. Hello, Melissa, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, this has been a long time coming and I've known you for many years and and I'm just really excited to bring your voice and experience onto the show today. And just as a way to introduce you to our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about who you are? I'm always curious to know people's, you know, their family makeup, who your kids are, how old they are and what's going on with them. 
Sure. So I uh, am married to my husband, Jason, and we live in El Paso, Texas, following a 10-year stint in Wisconsin. Um, And we have two children, Amelia, who is 11, and Benjamin, who is 9. We homeschool down here, uh, which is an interesting experience being a a liberal, secular family (laughs) homeschooling in Texas. Um, But we... uh, we're loving it, and uh, so uh, when I'm not busy doing the mom thing, I work as an author and speaker in the girl empowerment and confidence community. Yes, and you you have a book that came out a couple... Um, when did your book, Redefining Girly, come out? Yeah, I think it was 2014. <laughs> 2014. It's been a whirlwind ever since. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, just watching you, you know, we've been Facebook friends. We met in person probably 10 years ago. And we've been more kind of online friends since that time. And you your world has seemed like a bit of a whirlwind since your book came out. Do you want to tell us about your transition? Because I know you weren't always homeschooling. And you also had a very busy business and full time gig going on. Yeah, so in 2009, um, when my kids were three and one, I started um, a t-shirt company that was originally just for girls. And then we branched out to include boys, um, but it was called Pigtail Pals and Ball Cap Buddies. Uh, And it's been on hold since the move to Texas, but on my to-do list of projects to start up again. Um, And that led to a blog, and that led to my book, Redefining Girly, How Parents Can Fight the Sexualizing and Stereotyping of Girls from Birth to Tween. Um, So that all happened from 2009 to 2014, and then that span of five years while also trying to parent two children um, and all of this kind of coming in and uh, being very public and doing a lot of media, it was just sort of um, a whirlwind. So when we moved to Texas, I really pulled back from all of that because this was when we started homeschooling um, due to my kids having a really hard time in school with anxiety. And uh, then just kind of really trying to embrace the fact that I was parenting two kids. I wasn't very familiar with how they approached the world and uh, needed to learn a lot about myself in order to parent them well and really had to learn about anxiety and and how that works inside a child's head. So decided Mm. I could do work well or I could do parenting well, but I couldn't do both well. And so I decided to give up work for a short time uh, in order to focus on the kids. Yeah. Would you mind sharing with us? I mean, I can imagine... That was not an easy decision to come to. I, I, I went through, well, just I don't know if, if our journey was similar in this way, but when I really realized, hey, wait a minute, this is taking up a lot of my time and I have a lot of other things I'm working on. I definitely struggled with just personally feelings of resentment, jealousy of my husband who wasn't yeah. impacted in the same way. Like, What was that mm-hmm. like for you? Yeah, you know, that's such a good uh, synopsis of it. It was hard to pull away from work because um, I am very type A, um, very go-getter, you know, had had a very public profile um, really since hitting the ground running. And essentially when I started, I was a stay-at-home mom from this little town called Janesville, Wisconsin, and had hit, you know, the international stage just by making connections and working hard and aggregating this passionate community online working from the corner of my dining room. So I had built all of this just from nothing, just from a few ideas in the palm of my hand. And uh, it was very hard to walk away from. But uh, what, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I I could do work well or I could do parenting well. But if you mess up your kids, it's, you know. Yeah, there's no do-over. 
yeah, you don't get that back and you can always return to work and it might never be the same, but I think that that's a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time hiking down here. And so I've learned that sometimes taking a sharp right or a U-turn in the trail actually leads you to a better place. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just kind of had to let go (laughs) and, and see where the winds took me. Um, You know, it, it was hard to walk away. I was really proud of what I had built, but so many friends had messaged me over the three years that we were dealing with the anxiety, um, mostly with my older child, Amelia. And they would say, in private message, they would say to me, oh, I, I wish I'd had a mom like you growing up who understood me and took time for me. And and I could see them through the other side or like on the other side of this childhood anxiety. And the message was so clear that they really needed a parent to be present and really dedicated and devoted to them. And, you know, of course, I had the luxury, I had the option um, to step away from work. I didn't have to go to a a nine to five job um, that my family depended on for, you know, income to keep the electricity on and food on and stuff like that. Um, My husband was able to support the family. So we've been very, very tight. There have Mm -hmm. been times where it's been pennies between paychecks. But um, I think in the long run, the investment in the kids has been worth it. And uh, work will be there when I when yes. I return, I can work till I'm 85. So, but I only have my kids for a few short years. Yeah. Well, and just being very familiar with your work and your your energy and passion behind it. Yes, I have no doubt that when you decide it's time to get back in, that your voice will be heard loudly and clearly. And and with this new perspective, which I'm sure is going to make what you do even more powerful. Yeah, you know, it really uh, helped me. Well, for, thank you for those kind words. Um, but it really helped me understand there can be different types of courage and different forms of leadership, mm-hmm. which I kind of already knew. But um, just with studying more about anxiety, uh, I'm extremely extroverted, like golden retriever extroverted. And uh, my husband is not. My mom is not. One of my sisters, actually, both of my sisters-in-law aren't really. So through family dynamics, I was trying to learn a lot about different personalities and, you know, working on relationships that were important to me. But, you know, I came to realize that maybe one of the reasons Amelia and I were butting heads a lot was because I was trying to get her to look at things or or approach things or, you know, come on, buddy, it'll be okay if we do this from the perspective of an extrovert. And I, I really didn't know enough about the power of an introvert personality mm-hmm. to to be doing that well. And so I had to take a time out and, and read a lot about that. And that helped us a lot in, in uh, shifting gears and realizing that maybe when she's doing something, it's not because she's chickening out. Maybe she's actually being extremely brave. And so it was mm. coming up with different, or maybe not different, expanded de- uh, definitions of yep. what you know, courage and confidence and bravery can look like because it's not, uh, she's actually, she's reading the tale of Despero right now. Right. So it's not the, the needle through the belt turned into a sword and this mouse who thinks it's a knight running headlong into danger. It's, it's not, it doesn't always look like that. So that helped a lot. And then, you know, with pulling away from work, instead of writing articles or doing interviews for the New York times or CNN or, you know, like in the, in the good old days, um, I started to work very intensely with a Girl Scout troop that had some girls in it that didn't have a big exposure to the world or to professional women or higher education. Um, And so kind of really dived into that. So all the things that I had been doing on a big scale for the last, I don't know, whatever it was, seven years, eight years, 
through the business and the book, instead dialing that down to the local and the personal and just in really working intensely one-on-one with girls, um, putting all of, putting my, <laughs> my mouth where my, my money had been for so long and, and really <laughs> trying to work on all this stuff on a, you know, on a, on a personal level, um, and, uh, you know, mentoring a, a young girl who's a, a first-generation college student, helping her get into college, and um, and even, like, helping a neighbor through domestic abuse, that type of thing. Just, it, mm-hmm. it was interesting that once I pulled away from work, all of the big issues that impact girls and women that I had talked about publicly for so many years kind of fell into my lap very personally um, through people wow. in my life. And uh, it was interesting, too, then, how that changed uh, my marriage with my husband, making us much stronger as, as the world around us kind of got real, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you know, we realized the strength and the and the fortune we had in each other, and uh, and then what we wanted to model for the kids. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I I love hearing about people who take a leap of faith, and mm-hmm. you know, you certainly have made many of them in the past few years, and. It's just fascinating to me how they reliably improve your life. It, like they change your life for the better and almost the scarier and bigger the leap is, the bigger the payoff can be. And I, I just love hearing you talk about those personal benefits for you and how you've grown and your life has become enriched because of really because of who your kids are and because of the, the way that you've had to adapt your life for them. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's so true that the bigger the the leap and the bigger the risk, um, usually the sweeter the reward. And and even I think in if it doesn't work out how you thought or if it was a failure, I think that I think that our culture looks at those wrong. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that I, I don't think that there's any wasted time. I think that we can always be learning and growing. You know, not to sound like some sort of cheap motivational speaker. <laughs> no, I hear you though. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I really think that. I mean, we just, we, I don't know. I always go back to like the mountain climbing metaphor, but just we just do so much climbing and hiking in here. And you know, there's times where I'm looking at this rock and I'm just thinking, there is no way up this thing. Like that thing's forty feet tall. There's ab- like I will fall to my death, and then my children are behind me, and they're going to watch me die for my broken neck. <laughs> and this is going to be awful. And then I'm like, oh wait, there's a toehold. And okay, if I put my hand like this and wedge my knee like this, I can get up and then I'm like 10 feet higher. And I'm like, okay, now I'm 10 feet off the ground and there is no way out of this. <laughs> and But you just keep looking. And and I like I always tell my kids when we're bouldering, like the rock has the answers. Just look at the rock for your answers and they'll come out to you. And, and it just, it always comes true. Like, luckily we've not fallen to our death yet. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think that there's just always a path, but you have to be willing to look at it, even if it's not the path that you dreamt of or envisioned, or I think this is the big thing, is that you have to choose the path that is your truth and not the path that, you know, the neighbors or your colleagues think you should take or um, that you need to take in order to keep up with them, you know, for appearances or for the rat race, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that, you know, again, was hard because, you know, I was in a, a small and competitive market. You know, I was I was good at what I did and popular at it very quickly. And all of a sudden I had to pull back and be like, oh, nope, sorry, I have to go to this thing that's very difficult, like struggling on a sometimes hour to hour, day to day basis. Uh, and there were people who reached out to me, but it's still, I mean, you know, with Asher, like it's still, you're still doing it largely alone. Mm-hmm. And it feels 
very isolating, even though people are reaching out to you because it's just hard, right? Like you're watching your kids struggle through the world and it's just not easy. So stepping back from that and just realizing that this is what I had to do to be a good parent to the kids. And I mean, my husband helped as much as he could, but he's gone, you know, during the day for work. And so it, it largely fell on me. And I just had to have this sort of come to Jesus meeting with myself and be like, you know, you can do this right. Or you can be selfish and continue to do the things you want to do so you can continue with that, you know, life you had had, but your kids suffer. And then once you're out of the equation, who's left to advocate for them? And it was something too big for them to struggle with on their own, right? Like, I I totally believe in letting kids fail, letting kids struggle, uh, working out their own problems, you know, all that good stuff that builds grit and these resilient kids that is like such a hot topic today. So like, I, I totally believe in all that. But then sometimes it's like, you realize that they're kind of running away from an attacking bear, but that bear is in their mind. And you can't be like, hey, handle that on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you've got to, at least for for me, that's what I found was was kind of what happened was just that I had to be very honest with what was in front of me and that there was just no other way around it. It was like this giant rock in my path and my path couldn't look like what I wanted it to or thought it would. It had, it had to change. So it did. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what things used to be like? I mean, I know you mentioned anxiety. I think that is one of those differences that there is so little understanding about. Oh I mean, I think there's a lot of stigmas and misunderstanding about so many ways of being differently wired, but anxiety in particular, there seems to be so little tolerance for it. It's and, and it's just yeah. not even seen or accepted. And can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you and what it was like for your kids that really got you to a point where you realized something has to change here? Well, so yeah. So in the beginning, I didn't know it was anxiety. Like I truly did not know kids could get anxiety. Um, Cause at the time my daughter was seven when it, when it became really bad that it interfered with day-to-day life and like just day-to-day functioning of even getting her in the classroom was a battle. Cause this is when we were still at public school. So it had started her second year of preschool. So what uh, some communities might call like pre-kindergarten or like four-year-old kindergarten um, she'd been a happy, easy baby, like just the easiest kid. And then she hit four and it was like her brain just exploded with some really deep thinking. Just, you know, I, my mom was convinced she's gifted. Um, you know, but I just remember like her crying at night at four and five years old about if the Egyptians had comfortable underwear and how did the Bedouins make aqueducts in the desert? And I just was like, oh my gosh, please go to sleep. I love you so much, but stop talking. Um, And she would just lay awake at night with these giant questions on her mind at an age that just seemed, you know, incongruent to what, what, what I thought she would be thinking about at night. And I think a lot of parents of gifted kids will recognize that. And so it was uh, overwhelming because in, in the in the day-to-day, well, you're a runner. So, like, I think you'll understand this. But, like, you're running and you're just, like, trying to get that next breath and that next foot in front of the other and keep the pace and not break stride because you've got still this distance to go. And that's what I felt like early parenthood was like. It was just – I never felt overwhelmed, but it was like I just couldn't break pace. And mm-hmm. so 
all the days would blur together. And then it, it kind of hit me that like in first grade, um, cause kindergarten, she did okay, but it was just the normal stuff. Like she wouldn't want to be in front of the whole school while she was singing her spring concert, whatever, which it was pretty normal kid stuff. I didn't really think anything of it. But and just she had little quirks, like instead of singing happy birthday to her, we had to hum happy birthday to her because she didn't like everybody looking at her. And just, you know, I have I have girlfriends that um, will still write her messages on Facebook for her birthday that, you know, were there for her first seven, eight birthdays. And they're like, I'm humming happy birthday to Amelia today. And it was just one of those funny quirks. And so I just again, I just thought it was like normal kid stuff, right? Because like, kids are these crazy, interesting creatures. And you know, they're like, they're weird. So I just didn't think much of it. And then first grade hit. And it was like that pace I had been trying to keep that stride completely fell apart. And I was like, sprawled like a yard sale on the road. And just, there was just no way like, kindergarten. So I said, kindergarten went well, she had dealt with a couple bullies. Looking back on it, the school isn't what I had uh, hoped and wanted it to be. There are a lot of problems. Um, but you're, you know, you're new parent to school and you don't want to be that like hyper vigilant yeah. helicopter yep. parent. So you're not sure what to complain about and what not to, but in the back of your mind, you're like, this isn't right. This isn't healthy for the kids, that type of stuff. So first grade came around and she had a very hard time with summer school that year. It's like a first grade warm up summer camp. That's like three weeks long for a few hours. And during the morning mm-hmm. that was, she'd cry and was very difficult and was nervous all the time. And I just thought she was being ridiculous, right? And I didn't know better. And then the first half of first grade went well. And the second half, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden something in her just switched and turned off. And it was like this bright glimmer that had been in her eyes was gone. And her eyes took this flat, dead look to them. And that sounds like so melodramatic, but it's really true. Even when I look back through pictures, the shape of her eyes are different. It was just so much stress in this tiny body you know, looking back, I just, sometimes I just want to cry. I just think about what she had to be going through and pushing through each day to try to make some benchmark of normalcy while she was in school. And then she would come home and it would just, you know, all fall apart. And she was hellacious to her little brother, like bless his heart, but he put up with so much. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. 
I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. And then so the second half of first grade, uh, it, w- it could take up to 90 minutes in the morning to get her into the classroom. Um, the average was usually about 30 oh. to 45 of her having panic attacks in the hallway. She, I, that I had to start eating lunch with her the last six weeks of school. I had to eat lunch with her every single day. And if I was even two minutes late walking into the lunchroom, I would find her sobbing at the lunch table. Um, and in the beginning, her friends were kind and tried to help her. But then, you know, as it happens in social groups, like the herd mentality, where everyone has to um, go along to get along, and then that one person's wow. different. And so the herd separates from them because then they're a liability. Um, I watched that happen and that was hard. And then just to just, you know, the, the look of scorn from teachers <laughs> as yeah. I, you know, my Ben, the preschooler is standing there waiting to be walked down the street to his Montessori school. And my first grader is having a complete panic attack in the hallway. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get your kid in the classroom and, you know, put your spoiled child in the classroom and walk away. And, and it was just very, and you know, you're talking earlier about like how people don't understand anxiety and there's a lot of judgment and stigma and like so much of it was they were looking at her like the indulged child and that I couldn't say no to my child. And it was so hard, but I mean, luckily my personality was very much mind your own business back off or other yeah, So that words. didn't, I mean, that which I find so admirable, because I feel like for me personally, I really cared a lot about what other people thought. And that stuff would really, really deeply impact me. I hated getting looks from people. And I wanted everyone to know, don't you understand what's going on here? You know, so you didn't experience that you were, um, I mean, I did. But like, you know, like what I tell my high school kids when I'm doing speeches and stuff is that what other people think of you is none of your business. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I mean, it did, it bugged me that people weren't more kind, but it didn't bug me personally. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was just like, then, so for her first grade teacher, the year before she had been nominated teacher of the year at the school and I, she must've been 
teaching for like, I don't know, 15 years or something. So then I was looking at her thinking, you're the educational expert. Like I'm just, I'm just a mom, right? I don't have a degree in education or anything like that. So like, why aren't you helping me? I just remember thinking that like, why, like, why don't you know more and why aren't you helping me? Like this cannot be the first child you've ever encountered with anxiety. It can't be. The, I mean, the numbers would belie mm-hmm. that, you know, the one in eight kids has anxiety now and it's higher in, in gifted students. So I'm like, there's just no way. And they, they looked at her like she was some rabid animal that they had never encountered before. And should the area that we're from, it was very much like tough love, you know, buck up. You've nothing to cry about. Um, and even I remember one time I, Amelia was kind of cycling down from a panic attack and her teacher looked at her very sternly and kind of glared at her almost and was just like, I told you no crying this morning. My gosh. And that's where I kind of like, I sucked in my breath and I took a step back because I had some very strong words going through mm-hmm. my head, but probably should not be said in front of a line of first graders ready to go into the classroom. And I just looked at her and I, instead I just, I just looked at her and I was just like, I expected more from you. Wow. And the, the worst part is that like Amelia knew better. Cause she's so stinking smart. Like she would come home from school and she would be like, you know, why, why does the principal and why do these adults not help me? Like she knew it should be better. So we found that the only way, and I still at this time, I didn't know that it was anxiety. So we go through like first grade summer and it was to the point where she didn't want to go on family outings. Like we had this thing in Madison called crazy legs. It's like a 5k. And because it's in Wisconsin, of course, at the end, at the finish line, there's beer. And <laughs> so we, you know, we were, it was going to be like a fun time. We were going to run in as a family. It ends at Camp Randall Stadium at the University of Wisconsin. It's this great thing. And she had an hour and 45 minute panic attack the morning of, you know, we had to take two separate cars. My husband was upset because it was a work event for him. So he's thinking like, you're making me look bad in front of my colleagues. And I just kept saying to him, like, she's the only person that matters whether or not you look good or bad. You're her father. Your colleagues can get over themselves. Yeah. And, and so it took him a little bit longer to kind of adjust to that. And I don't know. I mean, you know me, I don't, I don't, uh, all that much believe in the difference that our culture puts up with the gender binary, but I wondered if it was maybe a different approach to it, like masculine and feminine, you know, culturally, not so much, uh, neurologically, but Mm -hmm. culturally, if there was, if that kind of changed our approach to this, because he was very much originally, he was in the camp of, she needs to toughen up, you know, that type of thing. And then, and he, he then realized that that's not what it was about. So first grade summer came and went, and it was another difficult summer. Like, she wouldn't want to go to friends' birthday parties, didn't really want to try new things. Um, She had a nice Girl Scout troop, and that kind of kept her going and kept her engaged. She refused to play sports. And the only sport or, like, physical activity that she enjoyed was swimming because she was underwater, so she could shut the world out. Mm. But, you know, the consequence of that is that now she has an amazing lung capacity, um, and is a really, really great swimmer. Mm. Um, she's really good at holding her breath and, uh, and she loves kayaking. And I think, I mean, she must be somewhere, some type of water spirit, uh, but cause oh, the water yeah. is very soothing <laughs> to her, but, uh, you know, and when she was in seven and a half, uh, was, she started kayaking and the second day of kayaking, she had the kayak like out in the middle of the lake and went, like, mm. we had to hop in another kayak and go fetch her cause she was just gone, like, and totally happy and content. <laughs> Um, so it'd be something you would think that maybe a kid would be scared of, but she had no, no qualms about it. So again, that's where it was, it was a, I remember that day too, helped me change my definition of, of bravery. 
encouraged because she just, Mm -hmm. she did it in a different way. So let me, before you continue with your story, you said you didn't realize that it was anxiety. What did you think it was? I just that she was a highly sensitive person or kind of, were you trying to get answers at that point? Yeah, I was. So I was thinking like, um, I mean, I didn't know much about it, but maybe it was like a sensory thing. Um, of course, like one of my first things was like, is she being bullied at school? Cause it seemed to be, that seemed to be the reaction, you know, just scared to go to school, crying at night, the night before, um, Saturdays were usually good days, but then Sundays were bad because she knew that, that school came the next day. Um, I, you know, even my mind wondered about, you know, could she be, could it be sexual abuse? But I was like, that's impossible because I mean, she's with me like all the time. There would just wouldn't have been access to it. And the, the houses that she played at, we knew the parents very, very, very well. It just, the percentage of that would have been zero, but I mean, it did cross my mind, but it, but anything, it was like I was reaching out for anything. And then I, I would Facebook about some of these experiences at school and a couple of friends. It kind of happened like all within like the two weeks. At the end of first grade, they reached out to me and they were like, you know, it, it kind of sounds like your daughter might have anxiety. I remember feeling this way as a kid, whatever. And then um, a colleague of ours, um, Carrie Goldman, reached out and said that her daughters were going through the same thing. So then I started researching a little bit more about gifted girls and anxiety. So my mom was kind of pushing me in that direction. She'd been a gifted and talented coordinator for 17 years and knew way more about this than I did. And so that's kind of when I really started to let go and let other people guide me, realizing that this was a field I knew very little about and and really tried to learn so much from the experiences that they were very gracious to share with me and... Uh, it, that's, I think that's really what saved uh, our relationship and probably even saved Amelia was their ability and willingness. Um, oh, I feel emotional saying this, but just to be open and giving with their stories so that yeah. another little girl didn't have to go through the years of judgment and misunderstanding and labeling and just all that crap that the special kids have to go through. Yeah. Deep breath. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you've experienced it and so many other parents have, and it's just, it's hard. It's a lonely journey. Lonely journey. Yeah. But you know, the, the thing is like, once I had that word, my personality was like, okay, anxiety, like, all right, mother bumper, like, let's take this on. Like, it's go time. Like I've got my game face on and you and I are going to war. Like you are done with my little girl. Like I'm getting her back. And uh, so there were many mornings and many nights spent crying. Um, but, you know, in the long run, um, it's it's not over. Like I, I'm not gonna be like, oh, everything's great now. And like we wake up to rainbows because that's not <laughs> true. But, yeah. Um, you know, there's more there's more sunny days now than there were like three years ago, two years ago. Um, and it's been a, a lot of hard work, but you know, we got there and it was a lot of giving myself permission to push out people who didn't understand or who weren't willing to understand or who, you know, had their mind made up about my daughter and didn't want to see her for who she was and just pushing that away. So that in, and that's what eventually led us to homeschooling, uh, realizing that the school 
system as it was, um, as, as a system, as an institution, not talking about individual teachers, but as an institution was never going to work for her. Um, and by first grade, Ben was bored out of his mind and had taken to hiding in very small, tight spaces around school because he didn't want to be in his classroom anymore. And so um, we just, we let him drop out of first grade. And uh, so I have a first grade dropout (laughs) who's now a third grader doing fifth grade work. And Amelia decided to finish her third grade year, but came home after that. So she's now in fifth grade doing very strong in all her courses and, and working, you know, grade levels ahead in some grades. And just the the beauty that that homeschool can be allowed them to enjoy childhood again. So that was important. We'll be right back after this quick break. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So wonderful. And again, watching this metamorphosis on Facebook and, and you are someone, you know, we've talked about on the show about Facebook and the way that it can make people's lives look perfect. And I, you are someone like me, you share the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. And that's something I really appreciate about you. And it has been so inspiring for me to watch this evolution for your family and to see your kids and to see Amelia transform. So tell us a little bit about where she is now. And I'm curious to know also what your relationship with her is like in terms of how that has changed. You said that you shifted how you perceived her, not through the eyes of an extrovert, but you really had to kind of get to know her language. So where is she now? And and where are you two together? So for her individually, she's doing really well. So she, um, the after second grade, we did start medication um, after trying everything else. Um, you know, we started with a holistic approach and 
then we started to see a therapist and had just done um, everything and it wasn't working to the point that our family wasn't functional anymore. Um, the marriage was very strained. We watched Ben suffer and she was just, it was awful. So I interviewed six psychologists. They all agreed we had done everything as far as we could go and to give medication a try. And we did. And I don't want it to sound like it's a miracle. And I don't know if it's the answer for every child, but I will say that within less than a week, we saw our daughter go from this unhappy, quivering, sad, angry, crying ball of unexplicable misery to a normal, happy kid. Um, Normal, I guess, should be in quotes, but it was like she could function again all of a sudden. Like she had an oxygen tank. It was, it was just, I don't know. It was really, and so I had to, I had to learn a lot about how the medication worked and that helped. And so we've continued with the therapy. So today she still sees um, her psychiatrist really just sort of a check-in check-out for the prescription. Um, But we do a lot of hard work with her therapist. Um, We had one in Wisconsin. We have another one here and we've been very lucky to find uh, two women that just really work well with her um, and push her where she needs to be pushed and then show her understanding and compassion and patience in the areas where she's not ready yet. So um, she's worked really hard. She's extremely active in Girl Scouts. She's going to Girl Scout summer camp, like sleepaway camp for a week this summer, which, yeah, like, and if you had told me that when she was in second grade, I'd been like, that would be my dream come true. Like, that would be, like, I would have never thought that possible. And like, she, she cannot wait to go. Like, she's so excited. And we took uh, our, our neighbor girl on a college tour the other day. um, And Amelia was like, all ready to move into the dorms with her. Um, (laughs) But even like, at one point, she was like, skipping along with the tour guide and like, talking to him. Um, we were, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, and she would have never done that before. So just kind of seeing herself be comfortable with herself again, instead of being worried and sad all the time, or when she, on the days or the moments that she is worried and sad, we now have the tools to say things. Or if she has a, a scary thought or something like that, she'll tell me what it is and she'll be like, but that's irrational. And so, you know, just with the the help of the therapist, we now have the words and the tools to communicate better to each other. So instead of me saying like, oh, Amelia, knock it off, you know, that's, you know, whatever, and and just getting short with her and not having the patience for it and thinking it's ridiculous. And, you know, I don't have the time for this because I'm a very busy, important adult and you're a kid and this is, you know, ridiculous. Now I can say to her in a more compassionate and respectful way, you know, I understand that might be a worry for you, but do you really think that saber-toothed tigers could come back to life? And do you really think that, like, El Paso would be the first place they go? <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> and just, um, we've always talked about, uh, well, our first therapist taught us about worry monsters and stuffing the worry monster down. And, and she and I always talked about um, putting the right size worry in the right size jar. So saber-toothed tigers could probably go in a pretty small size jar but maybe something bigger like not wearing your seatbelt when you're driving or making sure you're not riding with somebody who's texting and driving. Like the odds of getting hurt by that are, you know, hundreds of, per- well, hundreds of thousands of percents larger <laughs> than the saber toothed tiger fear. So, you know, like, yeah. it, and just kind of doing a uh, risk analysis on, on life and, and things like that. So that, um, you know, I, you know, I do see her be more cautious than other kids if we're hiking and stuff like that but at the same time you know she's the first one walking out into the dark at camp to lead the girls to the bathroom you know being able to hear like coyotes or javelina in the background or something like that so 
it, it, she has courage in ways that um, it's interesting for me to see. And uh, um, so I think she's in a good spot now. She's very expressive with her drawing. She's drawing all the time. Um, she loves writing. Uh, she has a nice group of friends. Um, you know, she's interested in starting piano, which is, that's interesting to me because that's something that you have to perform in front of at least the piano teacher. So yeah, I think it's been, I mean, there's still a lot of growth to do. It'll be interesting to see how puberty and adolescence impact this. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how many years we'll continue homeschooling. I guess it's on the books for next year. Um, so we'll see. I'd love for her to get to the point where she's doing theater or singing in a choir, um, something like that. But, you know, that's, that has to be her path, not, you know, I mean, I've given up the dream of having children who were soccer players. Um, <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, I did that too yeah, a lot of years ago. You know, she can <laughs> create an entire world from her imagination with very little resources at hand. And so I don't, you know, she may not be a star soccer player, but she has strengths in one direction that another kid may have in, in an opposite direction. And so I think that it's just so important for parents, whether they've got differently wired kids or normally wired kids or, or whatever it is, but to, uh, to just see them for the person that they are and respect that and then enjoy it and just have fun with it. Absolutely. I totally, I totally agree that as soon as we kind of lean into who our kids are and stop fighting that everything changes. I mean, when our kids, as you say, feel seen, like really and truly seen and that, you know, they have a parent who has their back and who really appreciates who they are. It changes everything, especially for kids who are more anxious. I mean, Asher, he, he doesn't have an anxiety disorder, but he, when he was in school, he was suffering from extreme anxiety. I didn't know it at the time. It was a therapist who pointed it out to me and Mm -hmm. it I didn't realize that he was kind of experiencing every day in that fight or flight mode. And it's been, you know, once he was out of that environment, that his anxieties pretty, you know, he still has his moments or certain things that he gets stressed about. But when they're out of that fight or flight mode, then they can really become who they are. And it's such a cool thing to see. Yeah. And that's, that's so important that you create a space for them that, they get out of that flight or fight mode because it's not doable for every family to have one parent stay home from work or homeschool. I, and I get that. Like, I'm not saying that's the answer. That's just where our path took us. Yep. Um, and I did it very begrudgingly for the first two years, but the idea of creating a space for your child where they do feel safe and they can open up. And that is what I really think saved Amelia and I was, I think me being, uh, brave enough to be able to go onto Facebook and say, Hey, I'm this girl empowerment expert and I have a kid who's falling apart. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, not, and then I, then I question like, you know, what do I know? I'm not an expert in anything. Like, I feel like this has all been like a, a charade this whole time. But then, you know, it was the idea that it was easy for every other kid in her class to walk on stage and follow the herd she was the only kid that made a break hard right and in front of the entire packed auditorium ran into my lap and buried her face in my lap while everybody watched her do it. Mm. So in that moment, who was being more truthful and, and who was being the bravest kid in the room? I just remember thinking it's easy to stand up there and be a part of the group. It was hard for her to go out 
on her own yeah. and say, I can't, I can't do this. Right. Because just like, you know, in the, the African nature shows, like that wildebeest that banks right is always the one that the lions catch. So when you're going off on your own, you're making yourself susceptible yeah, it's to the risky. judgment. Yep. Yeah. In the hurtful words and stuff. And so we've just really focused on, you know, what other people think of you is none of your business, which is just the nice way of telling people to F off. And it's just not, it doesn't matter what they think because they're not you and they don't know your story and what you're struggling with. And if they're people who care about you, they'll take to take the time to learn and then they'll take the time to figure out what's helpful and not helpful. So we've had great Girl Scout leaders that have done that and just being really open and honest with her friends saying, you know, right now Amelia's having anxiety and we just need a few minutes to feel comfortable and then we'll come play. Um, and once you've explained it to kids, for the most part, uh, the giant majority of kids have been very wonderful about it. And just the same way if you had a kid who had, I don't know, like cystic fibrosis and you would say, well, we can't sleep over because at night we have to do breathing treatments, but we'll play, you know, and we'll have a, a late night and then we'll come home. Or, or we even have like we have Mormon friends that don't allow their kids to sleep over. So we do the same thing. Well, how can we include you as far as you can go where you're comfortable and then we respect our differences. Right. And so their kids come over and we have late nights where we party till like 11. But then, you know, then they go home and then and that's fine. Um, so the kids were ready to be accepting of it once they were able to understand or, or like they had a word for it. And then yeah. it was really cute when we would go somewhere. I guess for Girl Scouts, it would happen kind of more just because that's you're always putting the girls in new situations. And we'd be somewhere and sometimes Amelia would be quiet. And if the tour guide or whatever talking, like, let's say there's something like, oh, what's wrong, honey? Does, does the cat have your tongue? Which is like a totally terrible thing to say to a kid with anxiety, but they don't know. Yeah. Right. right. And so instead of being like, oh, how dare you? It was, you know, sometimes I would say things for her or sometimes she would even say, no, I have anxiety. I just feel shy right now. And I think the person recognizes how how much guts that takes for a kid to say. Um, but a lot of times her little Girl Scout sisters would say, you know, they'd be like, no, this is Amelia. She's, she has anxiety. She needs 45 minutes to warm up. <laughs> and, and it was adorable. It was so cute. But because they knew that inside that person was this great friend that they loved, they just had to work past this thing, right? And it's no different than like a kid with food allergies. Like, you know, this is Allison, but we can't eat peanut butter around her. Once the kids understand how to be respectful, it, it wasn't that hard. And I think certainly in the homeschool community, because there are so many 2E kids here, it's been super easy to find people who are accommodating and understanding and the kids who get it um, and even kids who share strategies. So that's that's been nice. You know, I lay awake at night thinking about if, if and when we go back to school, will it be the same, especially because El Paso is short on school. So there's just the school populations are like 1300 kids. And I just have a really hard time believing that there's cultures of dignity that exist inside a campus of 1300 middle schoolers. But, you know, so right now we keep the community kind of smaller and um, we keep her world big, but her community small, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we do too. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's been a hard journey. Uh, it's not anything I would wish on anybody. And I try to help as many parents as I can who email about it. And I feel like 
hey, I've been told by a lot of people that this should be your next book. Like, this is what you should write a book on. But I don't feel like we're far enough in the journey yet, you know? It'd be like somebody writing a trail guide for a 12-mile hike, but you only did five miles of it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe in the future that we'll do that. And I'd actually like, I would, I would prefer for Amelia to write the book uh, mm. than I. Um, but uh, I know that there are a lot of kids going through this and a lot of parents struggling to understand um, in a culture that doesn't understand, especially in a culture that's trying to figure out so many things, but especially yeah. perseverance and tenacity and grit and all these things as we have, you know, 30% of adults still live with their parents and anxiety looks like a lot of other things that never looks like anxiety, um, which makes it hard. Like, I, I remember saying to my husband one time that it'd almost be easier if she'd been born without a leg because then you could get her a prosthetic or you could be in a wheelchair and people would look at you and be like, oh, you don't have a leg. And like, it's easy, right? Like, not that it's easy. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but. No, there's something just, with invisible differences. It's really, you're in a tough spot because pe- people don't get it. And it's not really our job to have to explain to everyone who gives us a look what's going on. But there is so much just misunderstanding. There, there is. And it's, it's hard that the world is not a kinder place. And maybe it never has been. But um, it is hard to watch your kids struggle, right? Because you're like, put it on me, like, I'll, I'll, I can take it, just don't make my kids struggle. But I also think that at the end of this, she will be a better person for it. I, I just, you know, like I said, in the beginning, that there's, there's no wasted time when you're living your truth. And so I think that this is just the person she's supposed to be. And just like any other family who's struggling with a childhood illness or a childhood difference. Um, it's not what we thought when we were reading, like what to expect when you're expecting. And you didn't know all this was coming down the pipe at you, but here it is. And so, you know, you just have to deal with it and it's unfair and it can be expensive. Like, thank God we had insurance because that's something, that's a whole nother podcast uh, about the lack of access to pediatric mm-hmm. mental health care and for people who don't have insurance, who can't even afford the co-pays when you do have insurance. Um, and we definitely went into a little bit of medical debt helping her get the therapy she needed. And we were able to do that. Like we were able to afford the debt and do that. Um, so for families who can't, it's just... Yeah. You know, as a society, we really need to look at how we're taking care of our kids on the whole. Absolutely. Yeah. And then looking at, I, you know, the beauty of it was that there were a lot of people that were willing to help and wanting to help, but we had to be open and honest about it first. I think if we had kept this quiet and let that stigma and those walls of stereotypes stay around us about mental health or, you know, not having the perfect confident daughter when that's what I did for a living, it just would have been, am I allowed to say bullshit? Like it would have just been just such bull having the perfect life on Facebook while we yeah. were horribly struggling behind the scenes. And so I just decided to be honest with it and, and was rewarded greatly. Uh, so, and I, and I thought about too, like, was I violating her privacy? But I said to her, well, I think she was in second grade. And I said to her, I'm like, buddy, I need help with this. Like, I, I don't know what's wrong. I have to reach out to my other mom friends and help with this. And, uh, and she understood it. And we, you know, we talk about being responsible digital citizens and that type of stuff. So, but I think had I not done that, had I 
been intent on keeping false pretenses up, that would have really destroyed our family. And so I'm glad that one, that that tool existed, you know, and then I feel that it's because people were so gracious with me, it's my responsibility to pay it forward and and help out other parents uh, when and where I can. So I've tried to do that. And it makes such a difference. I mean, obviously, that's a big reason why I created Tilt. And I, you know, I'm so grateful for you sharing this story, because we all do feel so alone and we're everywhere. I mean, that's what I it, I just still find it so confusing why we're all walking through this journey feeling isolated or that we have to keep this a secret. And I, I really believe like with everything that I am that the only thing that's going to change this for us, but more importantly, for our kids is openness our kids benefit greatly when we don't talk about things like it's a bad thing or, you know, behind closed doors and they can just be who they are. And that it, just hearing how the community of girls and the Girl Scouts have really embraced Amelia and because she's open with what's going on and they see her now for who she is. And so I think it's keeping it hidden that we get into big trouble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the secrets and, and keeping things hidden is just never... Never a good idea. Well, listen, it's been so just fun to catch up with you and hear your story. And I want to thank you for sharing so openly your journey. I know this is something a lot of members of the community are dealing with in their world. So I'm just really grateful for you to share your experience. And I I hope that it provides some insight and inspiration for other parents who are going through this. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you for having me. And you know, for the parents who are going through this, just there is a way out. There is a path that's right for you and your child, and it's hard to find, but it's there, and there's people willing to talk about it and help you. So just keep loving them fiercely uh, and just recognize that they're exactly who they're supposed to be. Um, oh, I'm crying again, Debbie Reber, darn it. I've turned into Barbara Walters, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um. But yeah, just just keep loving them like crazy. And um, just a thank you to you for creating this great system of awareness and sharing and information. I have like a dozen of these saved for our drive home to Wisconsin this summer. So I can tune out whatever movies the kids are listening to and listen to these as I drive for 24 hours. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for saying that. And um, yes, your words are so true. These kids are so worth it. And I just appreciate you. Mm, Thanks, lady. I appreciate you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at TiltParenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. 
Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.